Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I am Steve Norman, and I am joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Carol Petz. Hello. As we have a look at some films and things that we've seen this week. Uh, the quiz, though, is up first. Poised at one all after Owen won last week's round. Uh, you'll notice how I didn't accuse Owen of cheating. <laughs> although yeah, that's because was... it went on for ages. <laughs> Well, you are a credible and good loser, Steve. I am not bitter in the slightest. No, <laughs> especially not not now. You since you're bringing it up like a week later. Yeah, exactly. Definitely not bitter. Yeah. No, very horrible. Um, <laughs> well done. Anyway, Carol is in in the quiz chair. Um, continue. Thank you very much. <laughs> Pleasure. I'm not going to go chronological with this one because there are some early ones in here that's going to give it right away. So I'm going to I'm going to jump around a bit. I'm going to give you some really obscure, not really obscure ones, but things that this person is not necessarily famous for first. Uh, so we're going to start off with 1996 and the Cable Guy. Steve. Yes. Matthew Broderick. No. Oh. Owen. Uh. Was Ben Stiller in that? Uh, I think he uh, he directed, directed it, didn't he? It, I can't I remember whether he was in it or not, but no, no. it's not him anyway. Okay. Okay. Um, right, so next one is 1997, Anaconda. I should know this. Steve? <laughs> Steve? Yeah? Was Vince Vaughn in Anaconda? I don't, I don't know. No, I but think it was Owen him. Wilson. <laughs> Owen Wilson was in Anaconda. I'm have Steve, Owen Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> You've already had your go, Steve. Owen, do you want to have a guess? Yeah, was it Owen Wilson? It was Owen yeah. Wilson. Well done. <laughs> oh, I Owen. hate you, Owen. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> you don't really. I do. <laughs> and Owen Wilson. It's Owen Wilson's birthday. He's 46 years old. Is he? So... Tried not to really, top not himself really not long it. ago, didn't he? Owen Wilson. He tried to what? Did he try and kill himself not too long ago? Yeah, yeah, alright, thanks, thanks for that, Owen. Yeah, happy <laughs> birthday. Yeah, from one Owen to another, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, we celebrate hey, it, we remind each other hey, of the times. Hey, Owen, happy birthday, do you remember that time you tried to top yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yep, 46. I don't know if he's coming back in the new Night of the Museum, actually, I didn't get that far up, up this page. I think I did see him in the trailer. That's all right then. Yeah. Excellent. Yes, he is. He is coming back in Night at the Museum, Secret of the Tomb, which is filmed in the um, in the Natural History Museum, I believe, over over in sunny London town. It's just free to, free free entry there. 
Yes. Which is which yes. is nice. Very good. Yeah. So that's two one to Owen. Two mm. one. Yes. Interesting. Um, if I you inadvertently win... tried to help you out with that one as well by accident. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Anyway, uh, on to the news. Um, Paddington Bear has caused a stir. Has, has reclassified the whole way that the BBFC used terminology and rate films. Yeah. <laughs> because he's... What, what, I, I don't know what what's actually happened. I think it was that he dressed up as a woman and then a man flirted with him thinking he was a woman and that was just too much. That was too much for a kid's film. That's, but uh... it's, but but it was it was considered sexual, but now it's only in your en- innuendo, in your endo, <laughs> in your endo, <laughs> yeah. Because that's not there's nothing sexual about innuendo whatsoever. That that's innuendo is is massively better than sex references. I it's basically the same thing, isn't it? But it just sounds a lot better to parents who I'm sure they all read the BBFC's guidance before they take their kids to this sort of thing. Yeah. Uh yes. Uh with the um because it also contains guidance of um, mild peril, which is one of my favorite favorite <laughs> sorts of peril. <laughs> what is is, is there a, is there a step below mild peril? I mean Very mild peril. Obviously there's this above mild peril. <laughs> but below mild peril. Overly mild peril. Just kind of <laughs> tepid peril. <laughs> minor, minor peril. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in con- yeah, peril. Just yeah. What what is above peril? Major peril. Massive peril. Yeah. Yeah. But he's also Panton's also up to dangerous behaviour. Well, I don't know. It might not be Panton. It might be someone else. I don't know. Might be uh, it might be the taxidermist. It's probably Paddington. It probably is Paddington. Yeah. Isn't it? Let's face it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I really don't like the look of this film. I really don't like the look of Paddington. He looks he looks like he's got a butterfly knife under that duffel coat, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> of, all the, of, of all the bears you could have made a film about. In fact, most of the the bears have had films made about them, thinking about it. I mean, there's always been a, a feature-length Yogi Bear. Let's not think about that. Uh, mm-hmm. Winnie the Pooh definitely had some, some feature-length ones. I don't know what a poo is in that sense. I know what a poo is, obviously. <laughs> Do them most days. But in terms of what he is, where's that word come from? I've no idea. I've honestly wondered the same thing for ages. I do know that um, Christopher Robin, I think it was the author's son, um, or his, his nephew, I can't remember which one it was, he's massively like resentful of the whole thing. He fucking he, hates it, doesn't he? He hates it. He really hates <laughs> it. Because that's all he's known for. And, it, and you know, he was a kid when those books were written. Uh, and, you have to be uh, careful yeah. he doesn't sort of marry into uh, a family and start accusing them of um, killing him. You know, a bit gone girlish. That's a nice little <laughs> yeah. reference. Tried to sneak in that I could hear was not being recognised at all. So, okay, move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rupert the Bear never had a film made about him, I don't think. No, I don't think he has. There used to be a TV show of Rupert the Bear. I used to really like Rupert the Bear. Him and his, him and his wacky trousers. Wacky trousers. They yeah. were, if they were, if he was around now, he'd be a hipster icon, wouldn't he? Oh, definitely. Those tra- down yeah. Shoreditch, he'd be there. Down Brick Lane, he'd be walking down there. Yeah, I used to get Rupert the Bear annuals every year for Christmas with that excellent thing where you, um, 
got like a brush and dipped it in water and put it over the paper and then colours would magically appear and that was like the most entertaining thing I've ever seen. You you say excellent. It was excellent Um, at the time. mm. We didn't have the internet when I was a kid. It was amazing. You just had a roof at the Bear Annual with some water. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hours of fun. Literally minutes of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What else has happened in news? Uh, Christopher Nolan's defending Interstellar's sound problems. I didn't even notice any of this when I went to see it. But apparently people are finding some of the dialogue hard to to hear. I can't really comment because I still haven't seen it. (laughs) No, I didn't have any issues either. I mean, I was surprised when I heard about this because I could hear everything fine. There wasn't any issues at all. Perhaps we just tune out as, you know, we're used to sound issues on this podcast, so, you know, it kind of doesn't affect us in the same way as it affects yeah. normal people. Yeah. We should try getting them all to listen to this and, and see what they think of that. Yeah. Their ears will be bleeding. Yeah, we're going to change the theme tune to a, just a Hans Zimmer, Hans Zimmer score. Just a massive <laughs> as soon as people uh, load up the podcast. <laughs> deafen everyone. <laughs> Why the hell not? Because we can't afford him. No, you can't. No, unfortunately. I I was watching um, Despicable Me over the weekend. I didn't realise that Hans Zimmer did the soundtrack to it. That was quite a surprise at the end. (laughs) No, I didn't know that either. Pharrell Williams and Hans Zimmer. I was like, (laughs) okay, that's uh, all right. (laughs) That's a cool combination. Oh, they Mm. should get, we should get combinations of more people like that. Um, who else could we do? Ennio John Marconi Wh- and perhaps get in Snoop Dogg. There we go. Get them yeah, two John, together. John Williams and Dr. Dre. I want to see that. Yeah. <laughs> Although Dr. Dre not really making a lot of music anymore, just making loads of cash. Do- uh, John Williams and Eminem. There we go. That's a, that's a much more that's a much more relevant yeah. <laughs> reference, isn't it? John Williams and Rihanna. <laughs> That'd be good. Featuring Miley Cyrus. Michael Nyman. Oh, I was going to say Miley Cyrus. Michael Nyman and uh, Nicki Minaj. There we go. <laughs> what's, what's Timberlake doing? Ah, uh, I don't know. Yeah, Michael Nyman and Justin Timberlake. Get, get Timberlake in. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and we've had some Scottish BAFTAs. Um, I don't know why. Um, James McAvoy. <laughs> James McAvoy. Um, one best actor for filth. Um, yeah. As he should. Yeah. It was, was very brilliant. Good, yeah. 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 But he was also up against, uh, Jack O'Connell from Stardock, who was also pretty good. And, you know, we loved him in 71 as well, so. Yeah. Good, good year all round for all three Scottish films. All three so. of their films that have been nominated <laughs> in every category, apparently. <laughs> Uh, it, it seems like Lorraine Kelly also received a special award for her 30-year TV career at the event. Oh, man. Can you imagine if she actually got a proper one at the, at the actual BAFTAs? <laughs> Stephen <laughs> Fry. <laughs> Stephen Fry just presents her with the BAFTA. She, is, like... she has basically got lifetime achievement, hasn't she? Yeah, I don't ever remember her not being on TV. Hmm. She's been on, she's been on there for years. I remember being on there when I used to be off school sick. Which which bit of Lorraine at nine o'clock? Nine o'clock to nine twenty-five. And then Kilroy. And then Kilroy, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you said very experienced at that, Steve. 
Memorised. Yeah, you just add a bit of a skive every now and again and watch a bit of Lorraine and then Kilroy and then Rich and Judy. Rich and Judy was always good value and they had the the bloke who jumped around the weather mat, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Weather's gone a lot more pedestrian since he finished, hasn't it? Uh, Isn't he up on loads of charges at the moment? Probably, (laughs) yeah. I'm pretty sure he is. Shall we move on? Anyway. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's move on and, and swiftly end part one with part two is, is what we've been watching. What we've been watching then when we take a look at what we've been watching, obviously, in the last week or so, since the last podcast. Uh, Owen, why don't you start us off with what you've seen in the last week? Sure. I watched something called An Honest Liar. Um, or as it was known on iPlayer, for some reason, I'm yet to, to kind of fully understand. It's called Exposed Magicians, Psychics and Frauds, and it's not about that weatherman. Um, it's about... Uh, well, it's, actually, it was an incredibly popular documentary by two guys called uh, Tyler Meesum and Justin Weinstein um, when it did the festival circuit earlier in the year. And it got a lot of buzz, a lot of hype, and it was picked up by the BBC for their Storyville season. Um, and thankfully, it was kind of one of their better selections. Some of them that they've put on recently haven't been so so good. But this was really good. Uh, it's about James Randi, uh, an 80-year-old magician who basically made his name by exposing high-profile mediums, uh, faith healers, psychics, um, you know, like Popov and Yuri Geller. Exposed them as the frauds that he said they were. And in a way, his career mimicked his idol, Harry Houdini, who was also a famous magician and escape artist um, before carving out a career, exposing these, these people accused of being frauds. So... But this isn't me. I'm just being very disclaimerful here. I don't believe in any of this nonsense, but you know. He, they, he said they were frauds, so that's what I'm going with. Only, okay, so you know, Houdini died when he was about 50, a very, very strange life, but obviously, uh, this guy, James Randi's still going, and he's still as witty as ever, apparently, because he's interviewed quite a lot throughout the documentary. <laughs> I think I saw the start of this, was it, and I think I've seen something in with this guy before. Is he the one who kind of disproved Yuri Geller? Yes, he was the yes. one who disproved that actually, he tried to catch him out on live TV. Yeah. And um, he did, and then Yuri Geller kind of said, no, what actually happened was, uh, well, I, you know, I won't say exactly what happened, but he, he basically said, oh, yeah, but it, what it comes down to is people who believe it, they know it's real, and what, Mm. What Randy does, what James Randy does, is show tricks that can mimic what I can really do, and it's just all a bit awkward. And, and then, of course, Yuri Geller went on to make Gary McAllister miss his penalty against England at Euro '96. <laughs> yeah, thanks. From a from a from a helicopter, apparently. Um, unless unless you don't, I'd love to see what James Randy how he explains that one. <laughs> I bet he couldn't. I bet he couldn't. That one because <laughs> no, because I can't. No. <laughs> but anyway, so aside from um, just Yuri Geller, uh, his, his sort of feud with Yuri Geller, it also tracks his life from um, like an early age. So you see interviews with his friends, with his family, uh, with his long-term partner as well. Um, and even actually some of the people that he had these massive battles with, such as Yuri Geller, 
Um, so yeah, so it's re- it's really good. Um, he's a fascinating bloke as well, this James Randi guy. You know his relationships and feuds, and looking at what really motivate motivates him to do uh, to do this thing, to to be the kind of person he is. It's really it is fascinating. And he claims he only seeks truth, and you know that lying offends him. He's not he's not no time for liars and these charlatans. So, so you can see he's a man of integrity. Or, well, is he really? I mean, everyone lies about some something. Everyone lies about one thing at one time or another. Uh, at some point in their life. So, you know, what kind of secrets does this James Randi have himself? So it looks at kind of a lot, lots of different aspects. It doesn't really uh, pinpoint him as being a liar or what it tries to do. is It just has him being as honest as he tells you he's being. So it's just really entertaining. Um, very interesting as well, insightful. Um, but also because James Randi is just a fantastic character. He's a real showman. Uh, without coming across as being obnoxious or arrogant or know-it-all or, you know, looking down on anyone. He just seems like a really nice, friendly, intelligent chap. Um, and also, the ending to the documentary is great. It's, it's got a lot of build-up to it, so Steve, you've got to go back and watch it because I'm not going to say any more about it, but it was just a perfect conclusion. Uh, and a brave and honest thing on behalf of the documentary makers to do. So... Yeah, very, very interesting. Oh, yeah, and like a, a side note, uh, it, as I say, it does seem to have been one of Storyville's most popular films this year. I've seen loads of people talking about it on Twitter. Um, Paul, who I've mentioned before, at Pafsidus, recommended it to me. My wife actually downloaded it and watched it before me and told me how good it was and that I should watch it. There's two people. And then um, even this guy I know, uh, Edwin, who's retired... But he occasionally comes into our office. He does some work for me every so often on like a casual contract. He's a really top bloke. I really like Edwin. But he sent me an email just out of the blue. Just this random email. He's, he's supposed to be in like Portugal for the last four weeks. And he just sent me this email that just said the subject was charlatans. Which made me laugh anyway. And then he talked about the documentary he'd just seen on Sky. Which is obviously a thing called uh, An Honest Liar. And in his message he says, Marvellous stuff. But in the end it will continue. People continue to believe what they want to believe. Which I think is very astute because, you know, even in the face of overwhelming evidence, this documentary proves that, you know, above all else, if people want to believe in something, then they will. You know, regardless of whether the illusion or the magic's been exposed or how something's been explained, if someone really wants to believe in something, you can't do anything about that. They're just going to believe it. And so, you know, you just have to live with it, don't you? So, yeah. So, you know, as of... um Recording the podcast as well. It's still on iPlayer. It's still it's still there. So I definitely recommend watching it. And yeah, Steve, you've got to go back and watch it because, like I say, the ending to it is just it's fantastic. Okay, I will uh, take you up on that and yeah. try and get that done uh, before next week. And Carol, what have you seen? Um, this week I finally uh, I haven't got around to it before, even though it's been out for a while. But I finally got around to watching uh, Blue Jasmine which is with the Allen film from last year, I think. Oh, yeah, I think it was actually the end of 2012, um, starring uh, Kate Blanchett um, and Sally Hawkins, who I love Sally Hawkins. I'll watch her in anything, so I was quite looking forward to this. Um, it's essentially the story of um, a wealthy kind of New York socialite who uh, her world has basically fallen apart around her. The, the film starts off with her going to stay with her sister, in um in San Francisco 
in this kind of like dingy apartment that she's not at all used to and she's virtually like holding her nose as she walks in um and gradually the film kind of unravels to show exactly how she's got to to where she is so her husband uh was kind of like a bernie madoff figure really took loads of people's money and, and lost it um and and wound up in prison so um you kind of gradually find out how she got to this point she's never actually been out into the real world she doesn't really know you know she's never had like a proper job so she has to go and get a job in order to support herself which is quite funny um and it's just it's it's a really well-made film i mean i think probably uh kate blanchett she won uh the best actress oscar for this film and uh she she probably makes it i'm not sure it would have done half as well without such a great performance in the in the middle because you feel sorry for this person um even though she's kind of completely detached from reality um you feel completely sorry for Jasmine you feel like really sorry for for what's happened you don't know whether she's actually involved in in the fraud that her husband has perpetuated or not but you still feel kind of quite bad for her and you believe her when she says no I didn't know anything about it and he just you know I just signed things um and Sally Hawkins is excellent as well as 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 I said as I knew she would be um she's fantastic as a sister who's kind of uh kind of dumped Jas- Jasmine dumps herself on on the sister um and she's kind of trying to move her boyfriend in she's got like an ex-husband and, and neither of them like Jasmine particularly much so she's kind of trying to uh balance between the two and um it's it's really really good it's really well performed and the way the the story just kind of like unfolds you you get little bits of information a, a bit at a time and and gradually you get you know you don't get the whole picture until the end um but it's it's really good and and I definitely recommend it especially if you're a fan of Woody Allen it's a very it's a very Woody Allen film I think uh better than Magic in the Moonlight anyway Yeah I liked Blue Jasmine as well I saw it in the cinema when it was because it, it, it came out but then it it went off for a bit in our local cinema and then it came back on for just like a week or so in yeah later on in the year and that's when I caught it. And yeah, I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I'm not a massive Woody Allen fan, though, because I've, mainly because I've not seen too many of his films, you know, like Manhattan and, you know, that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I, I thought it was really good. And exactly as you said, it, it's basically because Kate Blanchett is so good in it. It's, it's mainly because of her performance that I enjoyed yeah. it as much as I did. It's very, um, it reminded me a lot of, and I see a lot of reviews have agreed with me on this, um, Streetcar Named Desire. It's very, it's kind of not, not a rip-off, but it's just kind of a, you know, like a homage to Streetcar Named Desire, I think, to very yeah. Blanche Dubois. But, um, yeah, I thought Sally Hawkins was really, really good as well. Um, I think she got Oscar nominated for it, uh, for this film as well, and totally deserved, because she is amazing. And one day she'll win. <laughs> yeah, although not with Paddington, which is in as well. Not with Paddington in the works, obviously, but, uh. No. <laughs> not all that innuendo. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> too rude for the academy. Mm. Too classless, I'd say. Yeah. You want a little bear in you? Have you got a little bear in you, even? That was a, that was terrible. That was awful. That was, that was yeah. Mm. Yeah. My, my career as a stand-up comedian is just kaput. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> it's not me. And for the second uh, segment in a row. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Anyway, let's move away from from this. 
along <laughs> to what I've seen, uh, which, to be honest, isn't a lot. I've had a busy week, but I have managed to watch a fair bit of television, obviously keeping up with The Walking Dead Series 5, which is carrying on at a decent pace. Um, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying mm. it I'm enjo- a lot this season. It's... it's it's kind of last season though it started off at this good pace and then it kind of lulled in the middle a bit and it's just wondering if it can maintain a whole season of of good pacing and episodes um i mean nothing's going to be as bad as the farm on season two which just is <laughs> relentless yeah dull. That, just, that just felt like it was never going to end no. it's a real shame because in the in the comics they're on there for maybe about four uh, four books, mm, and yeah. that, then that's it. They're gone. Um, but yeah, I really liked it. I really liked the fact that they had a, a bit of a Carol flashback. I love Carol's a fucking boss these days. <laughs> but she I, is fantastic. I found the flashbacks in this episode a bit pointless. They didn't really tell us anything. I quite liked it, but I do like I do like Carol and Daryl. Yeah. I think they're the, they're probably the best characters on the whole show, to be honest. Yeah, I haven't seen yesterday's episode yet, so I try. And, I'm trying yeah. to keep it spoiler light. Yeah. But it has yeah. got to that stage in the season now where, and it's, it was the same with last season, I think possibly um, the season before as well, where it gets to that point where the story's progressed to a point now where they don't w- seem to want to further it too much. So you get lots of episodes which just focus on one or two characters doing something or sometimes they're full of flashbacks and things. Well, they're teasing um, them. They're sort of leading into the, to the rather annoying trend of the mid-season finale. Yeah, yeah, so there's only yeah. two episodes left. There's, which, there's one more episode, and then that. Which I appreciate is is you know something that they do in America, especially when they've got shows running and it comes to the holiday mm. period. Uh, but I remember the BBC tried to do it with Doctor Who, and a couple of years ago, and everyone was just like, "What the fuck are you doing? No, just do it well, properly." <laughs> no, that, no, yeah. that's just general. That's that's just generally what people are feeling about Doctor Who these well, days. To be honest, I don't think it's got anything to do with the break. Um. But yeah, no, they did try to kind of introduce a mid-season break and split a series into two halves and everyone was just kind of like, no, no, to show it properly, <laughs> stop being It should always be viewed in the dark though, I, I never used to like the fact that you used to be watching it at, in like April or May and it was light outside when you were watching it, that's not right, it needs to be dark so that you imagine that the statues are out there or whatever, and I think that's what they tried to do was they tried to... They couldn't go like a year and a half without having dot two, so they were like, "All right, we'll, we'll split it, and then we'll go into doing it in October or whatever." <laughs> so I think that was the idea. And I, I do prefer it being October, but I wish Stephen Moffat would get the hell off. Mm. Seriously, yeah, <laughs> just I've had enough of him now. Um, but yeah, back to the Walking Dead. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously keep loosely in line with the comics, I suppose. Um, but I think it's good that it's definitely got its own direction and own take on things yeah there are bits and pieces that line up um yeah and again i don't really want to spoil too much i don't even know if it's being shown on terrestrial now i don't know whether channel channel channel, channel five it. usually show it a fair bit after yeah, you know like so, isn't it? yeah it's yeah. it's usually you channel five usually show it just before i think it's the new series due to start on FX or Fox or whatever it is now. Oh, I bet that does really well in the ratings. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so there there are like a few bit. Basically, what what you'll normally find happen is that um, things happen, but they don't happen with the characters that 
it happened with in the comics. Yeah. So like, uh, I think mm. Tyrese has had like his standout moment of going outside and beating the shit out of loads of zombies that you can't see, mm. and then coming back in and just being like, "Yeah, what? I just beat up like twelve zombies by myself. It's fine." And um, now he's gone back to being a little bitch. Yeah, how is he so big as well during like the apocalypse? I would have thought. Well, you know, <laughs> they're always making a point of how food is so hard to come by, but he's a he's a giant. Well, it's, yeah. In a rotund way. Mm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, but normally you'll find, uh, that things happen. They, they still happen, but they don't happen with the people. So Herschel's leg originally happened with Dale. And that mm. also tied into something mm. well, I mean, in the first few episodes of, of season five. Yeah. Well, I mean, Her- Herschel pretty much ended up being Dale, didn't he? Yeah. For, mm-hmm. for, for one, you know, for however it turned out, but. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Um, but yeah, I also started rewatching it from the beginning as well in tandem on Netflix, and it's it's a it's strange to see how far it's come. But that first episode of ever of The Walking Dead, it was just brilliant. Yeah, you, for, you forget, fantastic. and and that first series was only six episodes long, and there was only one bad episode I think in that series, which mm. was the one where they met the the Hispanic gang in the old people's <laughs> home. Say that. <laughs> Which was just fucking ridiculous. Because they, they showed it in black and white. They started showing it in black and white a few, oh, a few months ago, I think. Um, or maybe it was last year, actually, during Halloween. And uh, the one that I managed to catch was that one with the poxy vows. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> That would definitely happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what would happen. Um, but, but maybe, maybe now they're, 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 you know, back in the city in parts of it, uh, we'll see them again. Yeah, hopefully. I like, I like it much more when they're in the city. Cause, uh, it just feels a bit creepy. Yeah, I do, I, I do like, a fortune I, to shoot. I do like a post-apocalyptic city. Yeah, I think everyone yeah. does, don't they? Yeah. And, uh, it must cost them a fortune to shoot though. We, I don't think we'll be there for very long. No. But, um, yeah, it's just surprised me the speed at, well, not so much the last couple of episodes. It's surprised me the speed at which, uh, this series has moved on really. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, that will probably be there until the mid, no, that's gone. Oh, will we be there until, no, that's gone. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just wondering how many more <laughs> actors from The Wire they can cram into it and You've kill off. A few popular, yeah, and kill. Off. I was delighted when Ellis there. turned up. It does, it does, it does seem to have though almost a, uh, and this would sound quite bad, but The Walking Dead does almost have, seem to have a one in one out policy with terms of black male actors. <laughs> Do you know what? I said this at work a few weeks ago, and everyone just looked at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely true though, isn't it? Because yeah, Ellis comes in. I don't know what his name is. Oh, it's uh, Gabriel, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Gabriel, yeah. Gabriel comes in, and and yeah, that's it. So, and then someone else starts getting a load of character development. And you're like, well, you're gonna go. Then. Oh, that is that is the one bad thing the Walking <laughs> Dead's always done. You you're a bit of a secondary character, and you get a few lines. You can just tell that you're gonna die. <laughs> R.I.P. T. Dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's one guy I miss. It's T. Dog. Yeah, definitely. He was such an integral part of the group. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so that, that's that. Uh, also, uh, David Attenborough's Life series on on BBC One. But I was on mind how they filmed some of that. I think I saw one. Well, I did in a see- zoo, by the sounds of it. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was the one before where they they got caught out doing some stuff in Edinburgh Zoo. <laughs> All right. Serious. 
but no, I mean, it does look fantastic. It's always very good to watch. Um, but yeah, that's it for, for what we've been watching. Up next, we've got uh, some new release reviews. So, time to look at a couple of new releases now. Uh, first of all, we have got The Imitation Game. Uh, starring Benedict Cumberbatch as Alan Turing, the man who led the mission to break the German Enigma machine in World War II. Um, Owen, how was it? It was very good. It was very good. I re- I enjoyed it. Um, I felt to to start with it was kind of slow, and this, but it was you know it still wasn't what I'd consider a bad film. It was still pretty pretty good. Um, but the second half is, is much better. It really picks up in the second half. Um, without spoiling anything because everyone it's knows a, what films about. It's a 60 year old true story. I don't think you can actually spoil anything at this point. It, precisely, precisely. <laughs> There's a, a moment in the movie where the Enigma machine, they, they get, they get given a month to sort it out and suddenly, yeah, the film kind of kicks into life as soon as they press the on switch. Um, and I, re- yeah, from that point on, I, I was really engrossed in it. I thought it was very good. Before that, I just thought it was, yeah, it was quite good. It was alright. Um, but Benedict Cumberbatch, though, it's brilliant. And it's, it's one of those frustrating characters he's playing in the sense that you watch it and you think, yeah, he's just, he's just playing a character who has Asperger's. So, you know, he's a bit socially distant. He can't really connect with anybody else. And it's, yeah, but he's a genius as well, isn't he? He's really clever. Yeah, yeah, so carry on. But actually, it's, you, you can't fault his performance. He's still very good as, as uh, Alan Turing. It's, it's just, especially because he doesn't have any video evidence or anything to go by. You know, Turing was never filmed, so there's, there's nothing for him to look back on and, and take tips from. So it's all kind of imagined or used from, from what other people have said about him, so. Brilliant, brilliant performance. Yeah, I mean, I, I read your review as well, Carol. I think you kind of agree that he was he was very good. Yeah, right? I was I was concerned that he was just going to be kind of a wartime Sherlock, really, and yeah. it did start out a little bit like that when he's getting recruited uh, by the commander, mm. um, and he's like, "Oh, you're talking about Enigma," and he's like, "Oh, Dad, what, what do you know about Enigma?" And I was like, "Oh God, is this just yeah, is this just basically <laughs> going to be Sherlock, isn't it?" But um, yeah, I think. He really turned like definitely as it, as the film wore on, and at the end, uh, I thought that was just fantastic performance, mm-hmm. um, especially like the last half an hour, probably I would say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was brilliant. Do you know what I felt was really good about the film that I was? I'm usually a bit dubious about, but it's like it was about two thirds of the way through. They suddenly started focusing on flashbacks to him as a kid a lot more than they had been doing previously. I thought, oh god, this is going to be a bit tedious now. But actually, it really worked, and there's, there's only a few occasions where I can think that actually bringing that the the history of him as a child in a boarding school into it, it gave him a bit more um, personality, which was lacking a little bit in the first half of the film. Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't know whether the naming of this machine was was true or not. Um, hmm. I can't remember that bit from my from my computer science studies because I, I studied Turing <laughs> at uni, um, but uh, definitely 
from then onwards, um, yeah, from the flashbacks onwards, you kind of get a, a feel of, of what's driving him, really, don't you? And the fact that he's always mm. been like that, and the fact he's always been different in more ways than one. Exactly. Um, and, yeah, it really kind of hum- humanises him a little bit, I think. Because I think you're always in danger with, with that sort of character of just alienating the audience completely. Yeah. Um, and they sort of play up to that in the, in the first part because he, he's got his team at Bletchley Park and he basically alienates a lot of them by mm-hmm. sacking them when he gets put in charge. Mm. But um, yeah, I think I think it did do a very good job of of kind of dialing that back a little bit and making him um, a bit more likable, which is what you need because no one wants a, a film where where the central character is an arsehole. And I'm sure Alan Turing wasn't an arsehole. Unless it's a good film. In which case, I don't mind when the main character is an arsehole as long as the the story is interesting and he's himself a fascinating character. Which which he struggled to be to start with. Mm. You can have... I mean, you can have arseholes as central characters. Not if they're Mm. clever. Well, Uh, what about... about, Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort. He was a very clever guy and an absolute he arsehole. Was, he was an arsehole, but he was a likeable arsehole. He was you know, still an arsehole. Charismatic. He was, yeah, he's still an arsehole. <laughs> but he, you know, he was very good. At, that was how he built his whole his whole empire, wasn't it? By being a very, um, well, likable guy. He got lots of people to like him and trust him. And the film in Wolf of Wall Street got that across. Whereas Alan Turing was just, um, he wasn't really there. He wasn't with the human race. He was an outsider. He was looking in. And that kind of is a different, different sort of unlikable. How, uh, how annoying was Keira Knightley's accent in the film? That's what I was just going to come on to. Because I think, (laughs) like, because she, she's introduced as the person who kind of connects Turing to the, to the real world. Um, because she's, as intelligent as him, but she's also got social skills, frankly, and um, and so she's kind of the bridge between him and 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 the rest of the people at Bletchley Park. And I thought she was really good, actually. Uh, mm. Was there was her accent specifically annoying to you, uh, Steve, in the, in the trailer or anything? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially a bit in the trailer where she says, "Oh," and it just oh, oh, yes. oh <laughs> fuck off, love. Yeah, no, you don't. Yeah, that bit's in there, but. She really didn't annoy me for the rest of the film. I thought she was really good. She was good, and I do like Kira Knightley as an actress. As you know, she's she's been good in a few things that I've seen. I, her in. I just couldn't work out from the trailer why she was putting on that accent when her accent is generally quite well spoken in English anyway. Yeah, most of the most of the film, I'm pretty sure she just speaks in a normal English accent. Yeah. But yeah, I know exactly the bit you mean. Mm. Um, yeah, it's nowhere near as clipped as that in the rest of the film. Mm. I don't know why they. I don't know why she went for that pronunciation of that part, but um, I don't know. Yeah, never mind. But she did. She was also an interesting character herself, though, because she wasn't just. I mean, yes, she was mainly there so that you had a uh, a way for you to connect with Alan Turing as much as the character of Turing can connect with the audience. But also, she seemed quite interesting in herself. You know, this this woman in a man's world kind of story and. It could have been fleshed out a little bit more, but at the same time, there's, the runtime was already approaching two hours, which was getting on a bit for, for what yeah. the story was. Mm. Yeah, I did, I did like the fact they did bring in slightly, but yeah, you're right, they didn't really um, expand on it. The fact that she she passed the tests, but 
she like her parents wouldn't let her work in the no. in the code breaking section, exactly. even though she's clearly and that I, I let out a very loud British tut at that point. <laughs> well, it's like when she turns up, isn't it, for her interview with MI6, and they just sort of say, "Oh, you're here for the secretary's." The typist pool is up there. The typists yeah. are upstairs, <laughs> and it's just like yeah. But you know, that's another way of, of what um, that scene in particular of getting you to understand. Turing a bit more than it is really anything about Kira Knightley's character. Um, Joan, is that her name? Joan yeah, Joan. Joan yeah. Clark. Joan Clark, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I... But also, the, talking about support cast as well, um, Charles Dance, Mark Strong, both of them pretty good. Yeah, I thought right. Mark Strong was actually really funny. He was. He d- a, doesn't get it... to be funny in, in a lot of... Um, <laughs> In a lot of roles mm. these days, he's just basically the bad guy all the time, isn't he? But I thought he was yeah. great. He was, yeah. And also, I did like Charles Dance's um, his interactions with with Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, they they played that up a little bit. They never, there was never so much as much conflict um, between the two as, as is made up on film. I guess they oh, had yeah. to have some sort of. I guess they had to play it up a little bit more. The bit about writing to Churchill directly to ask for funds is completely true, though. <laughs> is that what happened? Yep, that's actually what happened. <laughs> wow. Okay. And the only really thing, Carol, you saw The Drop starring Tom Hardy, uh, James Gandolfini, and Numi Rapace? Yes, yes, I did. So, yes, on uh, on Saturday I had a bit of a, a double header, as I like to do, with The Imitation Game and The Drop. I saw The Drop first. And uh, on the way in, I, I was chatting to the, the cinema manager, as as is my want, and he said, oh, I'm I'm really interested in this film. I was like, really? Because you must see a lot of films. And he said, yeah, I'm really interested. It's James Gandolfini's last film, isn't it? And I was like, that's that's what this film is going to be remembered for forever, isn't it, really? It's just going to be James Gandolfini's last role, and that's going to be it. And I, was, and I thought, well, I hope it's a pretty good film to, to kind of break out of that, um, out, out of that distinction. Um and and it is it is really good. Um, so uh, James Gandolfini is basically like the supporting um, actor, and he's just basically a more crabby version of uh, Tony Soprano, uh, who runs a bar in Brooklyn. And this bar is uh, the stage for the mafia basically dropping off their ill-gotten gains because you can't put that sort of money through a bank, so they kind of drop it off at the bar. And it's called the drop because it is a drop point. And then every so often they'll change the drop point to like one of their network of bars. Um, so Tom Hardy plays um, Bob, who is the bartender of said bar, Cousin Marv's bar. Um, and, you know, James Gandolfini is basically in the background kind of like growling at him quite a lot. Um, Bob, one day he's walking from home from um, from his shift and he finds a dog. In, in a bin and the dog is just like the cutest thing ever. I was just like, <laughs> just give the dog that Oscar right now. It's fantastic. Do- the dog's performance is wonderful. But, um, yeah, so he finds the, um, finds the dog and it's in the bin of, um, a lady played by Numi Rapace uh, called Nadia. Um, and basically from then up, he, Bob takes the dog home. Bob ad- adopts the dog. And then from then on, kind of this whole series of events plays out, which is, indirectly or directly linked to Bob taking the dog home so there's a kind of local madman who's who's after him because he also wants a dog um, there's some Chechens after after everyone because uh, some of their money goes missing and it's just a really well made film 
And I was just sitting there thinking, because I've seen Tom Hardy in... I think I've only seen him in two films this year, actually. I saw him in Locke. I don't know whether either of you guys saw Locke. No. Really wanting to, but um, I missed it. But it's on Netflix, isn't it? Is it on US Netflix? I think it's just gone on... Yeah, I think it's recently gone on US Netflix. I definitely recommend it. Hmm. Um, But yeah, I I was sitting there watching this. Tom Hardy's a very convincing um, Brooklyn kind of hard guy slash barman. And I was thinking that Tom Hardy is probably quietly becoming one of our most kind of diverse actors, really. When you think of of his back catalogue, obviously Bronson is just like nothing I've ever seen before. It's it's just absolutely crazy. Um, and then Locke is a completely different character. You know, he's like Welsh builder, basically Welsh foreman. Um, and then you've gone on to this, and he's a you know he's tending bar in, in Brooklyn, and he's completely convincing. And he's I just going to be um, both of the Cray twins, isn't he? And he's, but yeah, yeah, that's right. He's got that. I think that's coming out next year, um, yeah. which looked really, really interesting. Yeah. And I just thought he—he's actually—he's actually really versatile. I think he's probably one of the most versatile actors we have at the moment. He's fantastic, and he's—and he's always really, really good in in whatever you put him in. Even in like the Dark Knight Rises, where he was just not frankly given a lot to do, he was. Um, he, you know, I think he was possibly just as good as as could be expected, really. Yeah, considering he had a mask on his face for most of the film, he could. St- <laughs> he still got. A- he still managed to get across that he was acting in a believable way. And he, and he was in the way the film panned out. He was essentially henchman number one, wasn't he? Yeah, as as Bane has always been. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a great film. Again, it kind of slowly unfolds, um, and you, you know the title, the drop. Is I think more relates to the kind of this slide down into into disaster that everyone's taking um, mm. as a result of the things that pan out during the film. Um, but yeah, it's it's really really good. I would recommend it. I don't know whether it's on wide release. I think it's on quite wide release. Yeah, it's showing showing quite a few times during the week at my local Cineworld. But um, yeah, it's it's not a short film, and it does. It's really well paced, but nothing much happens for about half an hour in the middle. But you, at the time, you'll feel it's dragging. But then later on, you'll realise it wasn't. It was just setting up. Uh, it was just setting up story and plot elements that are going to come in, into play later on, basically. Worthy film um, as Gandolfini's last. Yeah, I think so. I know that he was in. Um, he was in. A, he completed a few before he died, didn't he? He was in mm-hmm. Enough Said, which I haven't seen. Um, as I said, he's more with, of a, uh, Julia Louis. Ju- yeah, yeah, that's right. Which apparently is very good, but yeah, I haven't I haven't actually seen it. As I said, he's more of a supporting actor in this, and it's kind of a, it's yeah, it's it's not a quiet role. You know, there is a bit of um, a bit of a um, development halfway through where he comes comes into the fore a bit more. But yeah, yeah. it's it is a good role, um, and and he'd be very much missed. Is the film in tone a bit more like, I mean, is it a caper type film? A bit no. of a comedy caper? Was it more like The Sopranos or, you know, Killing Them Softly or something like that, maybe? Um, put it this way, it was, it was, it's been developed out of a short, um, story by the same guy who wrote, um, Gone Baby Gone. Okay. Uh, and Shutter Island, and he's, he's written quite a lot of, um, quite a lot of short stories. It's very kind mm-hmm. of, I'm not, I wouldn't say it's like noir, but it's, um, you know, there's kind of the mob involved. It's definitely not yeah. light-hearted. Okay. Um, it's, it's just with him, like, of... picking up um, a dog out of a bin and stuff like that. It just <laughs> makes it seem like it could be 
more comedy than crime. I don't know. Oh yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, I suppose it does actually, doesn't it? <laughs> um, but no, definitely not. It's it's definitely. I mean, there are like light lighthearted bits in it, but um, yeah, definitely there is a there is definite kind of the the palette is very muted and very grey, <laughs> and there's definite sense of dread, especially towards the kind of final three quarters of an hour. I would say. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that's all for our new release reviews then, uh, both the Imitation Game and the Drop. Before we go, we've just got our recommendations for uh, the week ahead, or uh, for this week. Um, so, Owen, what are you recommending? Well, kind of lazily, because I've already talked about it. Um, but the documentary I mentioned earlier, the, the Storyville one, Exposed, Magicians, Psychics and Frauds, is on iPlayer still. Um, as of today, which is the, the Tuesday the 18th, our recording today, it's up still for 14 days. So just search for Storyville. It'll be the only option that's returned. Give it a go. It's, it is one of my favourite documentaries of the year. And Carol? Um, I'm going to recommend on Netflix. I watched it a couple of weeks ago and I really enjoyed it. And we've also mentioned it on the podcast, but this wasn't lazy, honest. I'd already recommended it. I'd already picked it. Uh, it was uh, Filth, uh, starring James McAvoy. Nice. The BAFTA, Scottish BAFTA award-winning Filth, uh, starring James McAvoy as a morally dubious police officer. Although, to be fair, I saw worse during my spell in the police force. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it's, it's very good, and McAvoy's excellent in it. Okay. And I am going to recommend a film that has just been put onto uh, Netflix UK, and that is Monsters, Inc. from 2001. Brilliant. Yeah. I love Monsters, Inc. I love one section of it. Which bit? With the doors on the rail. rails. Oh, yeah, that, that's so yeah. good. The bit at the yeah. end makes me that's cry a little well. bit, actually. Where he puts to get that the door gets put back together and he goes and sees mm. it again. That's really sad. Billy Crystal's good, isn't he? Yes. But yeah, you did say Monsters Inc., not Monsters University, didn't you? Say? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Because Monsters yeah. University is terrible. That well, was really it's not terrible. It's just not. It's not. No, it's not terrible. But I think part of the problem with Monsters University was they were putting trying to put a very kind of teen or adult concept of being in college and being in a frat into a kids' film. Yeah, and it, it just didn't and, work. It did, and it didn't work because, no. yeah, I don't know, it didn't play to the target audience right in some way. No. Uh, because yeah, half of the kids watching that, I'm gonna know what a, a frat is or a fraternity or a sorority or anything no. like that. Twenty two Jump Street did the same thing, but better, didn't it? Basically, and it's a fifteen, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, exactly. anyway, that's all. That's all for this week's podcast. Uh, we'll be back around about the same time next week with another one. Thanks for listening, and thanks to anyone who's contributed as well. Website is over at www.failedcritics.com, and we are on the Twitter as well. If you want to interact with us on there. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I am Steve Norman and I am joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Carol Petz. Hello. 
as we have a look at some films and things that we've seen this week. Uh, the quiz, though, is up first. Poised at one all after Owen won last week's round. Uh, you'll notice how I didn't accuse Owen of cheating. <laughs> although yeah, that's because was... it went on for ages. <laughs> well, you are a credible and good loser, Steve. I am not bitter in the slightest. No, <laughs> especially not not now. You think you're bringing it up like a week later? Yeah, exactly. Definitely not bitter. Yeah. No, very horrible. <laughs> um, well done. Anyway, Carol is in in the quiz chair. Um, continue. Thank you very much. Pleasure. I'm not going to go chronological with this one because there are some early ones in here that's going to give it right away. So I'm going to I'm going to jump around a bit. I'm going to give you some really obscure, not really obscure ones, but things that this person is not necessarily famous for. First, uh, so we're going to start off with 1996 and the Cable Guy. Steve. Yes. Matthew Broderick. No. Oh. Owen. Uh. Was Ben Stiller in that? Uh, I think he uh, he directed, he directed it, didn't he? It, I can't I remember if he was, was in it or not, but no, no. it's not him okay. anyway. Okay. Um, right. So next one is 1997. Anaconda. I should know this. Steve. <laughs> Steve. Yeah. Was Vince born in Anaconda? He I don't. Was. I don't know. No, I think it's it was Owen Wilson. <laughs> Owen Wilson was in Anaconda. Steve, Aaron Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> You've already had your go, Steve. Owen, do you want to have a guess? Yeah, was it Owen Wilson? It was Owen yeah. Wilson. Well done. Oh, I Owen. hate you, Owen. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you so much. You don't really. I do. <laughs> and Owen Wilson. It's Owen Wilson's birthday. Today. He's forty-six years old. Is he? So. Tried not to really, top himself really not long ago, didn't he? Owen Wilson. He tried to what? Did he try and kill himself not too long ago? Yeah, yeah, alright. Thanks, thanks for that, Owen. Yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From one Owen to another, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we celebrate it. We remind each other hey, of the times. Happy birthday. Knew. Do you remember that time you tried to top yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yep, 46. I don't know if he's coming back in the new Nightly Museum, actually. I didn't get that far up, up this page. I think I did see him in the trailer. That's all right then. Yeah. Excellent. Yes, he is. He is coming back in Nice Museum, Secret of the Tomb, which is filmed in the um, in the Natural History Museum, I believe, over over in sunny London town. It's just free to, free free entry there. Yes. Which is which is nice. Very good. Yeah. So that's two one to Owen. Two mm. one. Yes. Interesting. Um, if I you inadvertently wouldn't... tried to help you out with that one as well by accident. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm, anyway, uh, on to the news. Um, Paddington Bear has caused a stir. <laughs> <laughs> has, has reclassified the whole way that the BBFC used terminology and rate films. Yeah, <laughs> because he's... Well, well, I, I don't know what what's actually happened. I think it was that he dressed up as a woman and then a man flirted with him thinking he was a woman. And that was just too much. That was too much for a kids' film. That's, but, uh, it's, but but it was it was considered sexual. But now it's only in your in innuendo in your endo <laughs> in your endo. <laughs> yeah, because that's not there's nothing sexual about innuendo whatsoever. That that's innuendo is is massively better than sex references. 
I, it's basically the same thing, isn't it? But it just sounds a lot better to parents who I'm sure they all read the BBFC's guidance before they take their kids to this sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, with the because um, it also contains guidance of um, mild peril, which is one of my favourite favourite <laughs> sorts of peril. <laughs> the what mild is, is, is there a, is there a step below mild peril? I mean, Very mild peril. Obviously, there's this above mild peril, but below <laughs> mild peril. Overly mild peril. Just kind of <laughs> tepid peril. <laughs> minor, minor peril. Yeah. Uh, in con- yeah, per- just yeah. What what is above peril? Major peril. Massive Perilous. peril. Yeah. But he's also Panton's all sorts of dangerous behaviour. Well, I don't know. It might not be Panton. It might be someone else. I don't know. Might be, uh, might be the taxidermist. It's probably Paddington. It probably is Paddington, yeah. isn't it? Let's face it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I really don't like the look of this film. I really don't like the look of Paddington. He looks, he looks like he's got a butterfly knife under that duffel coat. To be perfectly honest. <laughs> of all, the, of, of all the bears you could have made a film about. In fact, most of the the bears have had films made about them. Thinking about it, I mean, there's always been a, a feature length Yogi Bear. Let's not think about that. Uh, mm-hmm. Winnie the Pooh definitely had some, some feature length ones. I don't know what a poo is in that sense. I know what a poo is, obviously. <laughs> Do them most days. But in terms of what he is, where's that word come from? <laughs> I have no idea. I've honestly wondered the same thing for ages. I do know that um, Christopher Robin, I think it was the author's son, um, or his, his nephew, I can't remember which one it was, he's massively like resentful of the whole thing. He fucking he, hates it, doesn't he? He hates it. He really hates <laughs> Cause it. Because that's all he's known for, and, it, and you know he was a kid when those books were written. Oh, and have to be uh, careful yeah. he doesn't sort of marry into uh, a family and start accusing them of um, killing him, you know, a bit gone girlish. That's a nice little <laughs> yeah. reference. Tried to sneak in that I could hear was not being... Recognised at all, so okay, move on. <laughs> um, Rupert the Bear never had a film made about him, I don't think. No, I don't think he has. He, there used to be a TV show of Rupert the Bear. I used to really like Rupert the Bear. Him and his, get... him and his wacky trousers. Wacky trousers. They yeah. were, if they were, if he was around now, he'd be a hipster icon, wouldn't he? Oh, definitely. Tra- down yeah. Shoreditch, he'd be there. Down Brick Lane, he'd be walking down there. Yeah, I used to get Rupert the Bear annuals every year for Christmas with that excellent thing where you, um, got like a brush and dipped it in water and put it over the paper and then the colours would magically appear and that was like the most entertaining thing I've ever seen. You, you say excellent. It was excellent um, at the time. Mm. We didn't have the internet when I was a kid. It was amazing. You just had a Rupert the Bear annual with some water. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hours of fun. Literally minutes of fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else has happened in news? Uh, Christopher Nolan's defending Interstellar's sound problem. I didn't even notice any of this when yeah, I, I went to see it. But apparently people are finding some of the dialogue hard to, to hear. I can't really comment because I still haven't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't have any issues either. I mean, I was surprised when I heard about this because I could hear everything fine. There wasn't any but, issues at all. Perhaps we just tune it out as, you know, we're used to sound issues on this podcast, so... You know, it kind of doesn't affect us in the same way as it affects yeah. normal people. Yeah, we should try getting them all to listen to this and and see what they think of that. Yeah, their ears will be bleeding. 
Yeah. We're going to change the theme tune to just a Hans Zimmer, uh, Hans Zimmer score. Just a massive <laughs> as soon as people uh, load up the podcast. <laughs> deafen everyone. Why the hell not? Because we can't afford him. No, yeah. no, unfortunately. I saw. I was watching um, Despicable Me over the weekend. I didn't realise that Hans Zimmer did the soundtrack to it. That was quite a surprise at the end. <laughs> no, I didn't know that either. Pharrell I Williams don't... and Hans Zimmer. I was like, <laughs> okay, that's uh, right. <laughs> that's a cool combination. Oh, they mm. should get. We should get combinations of more people like that. Um, who else could we do? Ennio Marconi Wh- and perhaps get in Snoop Dogg. There we go. Get them yeah, two John, together. John Williams and Dr. Dre. I want to see that. Yeah. <laughs> Although Dr. Dre not really making a lot of music anymore, just making loads of cash. Ugh. Uh, John Williams and Eminem. There we go. That's that's a much more that's a much more relevant yeah. <laughs> reference, isn't it? John Williams and Rihanna. <laughs> Fe- That'd be good. Featuring Miley Cyrus. Michael Nyman. Oh, I was going to say Miley Cyrus. Michael Nyman and uh, Nicki Minaj. There we go. <laughs> what's, what's Timberlake doing? Ah, uh, I don't know. Yeah, Michael Nyman and Justin Timberlake. Get, get Timberlake in. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and we've had some Scottish BAFTAs. Um, I don't know why. Um, James McAvoy. <laughs> James McAvoy. Um, won Best Actor for Filth. Um, yeah. As he should. Yeah. It was, it was very brilliant, good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But he was also up against uh, Jack O'Connell from Stardust, who was also pretty good. And, you know, we loved him in 71 as well, so... Yeah. Good, good year all round for all three Scottish films. All three so. of their films that have been nominated in every category, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Uh, it, it seems like Lorraine Kelly also received a special award for her 30-year TV career at the event. Oh, man. Can you imagine if she actually got a proper one at the, at the actual BAFTAs? <laughs> Stephen <laughs> Fry. <laughs> Stephen Fry just presents her with the BAFTA. She, is, like... she has basically got lifetime achievement, hasn't she? Yeah, I don't ever remember her not being on TV. Hmm. She's been on. She's been on there for years. I remember being on there when I used to be off school sick. Which watch bit of Lorraine at nine o'clock? Nine o'clock to nine twenty-five. And then Kilroy. And then Kilroy, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you said very experienced at that, Steve. You've got the whole program oh. memorised. Yeah, you just had a bit of a skive every now and again, and watch a bit of Lorraine, and then Kilroy, and then Richard and Judy. Hammer, Rich, Rich and Judy was always good value, and they had the the bloke who jumped around the weather mat, didn't they? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Weather's gone a lot more pedestrian since he finished, hasn't it? Uh, is, isn't he up on loads of charges at the moment? Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure he is. Shall we move on? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yes, let's move on and, and swiftly end part one with part two is, is what we've been watching. Anyone need a break or... <laughs> no. Sorry, <laughs> Where do you even hear that the weatherman who should jump round on that map is up on charges? <laughs> because who isn't from like nineties TV? Seriously, you can't just you just can't just say anytime you talk about someone from the nineties, just go yeah, he's a pedo. What was his? 
Martin <laughs> what was his name? Fred Talbot, wasn't it? I'm going to look it up right now. I'm pretty sure he was arrested. Fred Talbot, latest news updates. He's got his own page on the mirror, look. There we go. Uh, yeah. July. Denies new sex abuse charge. He's due to go on trial in the new year. So there we go. Innocent until proven guilty. Well, of course. But, uh, yeah. You know, I just remember him because he used to jump around the weather map. With his with his crazy jumpers and his cock out by the sound of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good job this isn't recorded. Oh wait, yeah. <laughs> um, Steve, are you going to remember to put in a, a clip of the uh, of the new film? I'll try my best. I swear, I, I swear, I edited that out. I was looking for a clip, and every time I put it into Audacity, it just distorted it, and it was really bad. So I thought, right, I'm going to leave it out. And then there's obviously the ten second gap that you leave when we put the clip in. I swear I edited it out, and I still didn't. It's quite funny, because some guy on Reddit uh, inboxed me and said, oh, you said you do like a podcast, can you tell me what the name of it is? I said, yeah, yeah, it's, it's called this. So just to let you know, you've had some like sound issues, but in the latest one it should be fixed. He's like, oh, cool, I'm going to listen to it, thanks. And then that came up, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I've given all these caveats about, yeah, sound quality isn't too good. <laughs> just, tell him, just tell him it was me making a joke about the sound quality in Interstellar. Oh, you see, if we'd have thought of that at the time, yeah, could have used that one. I can't, I can't get my head around Reddit. I wish I could, but I just can't. Oh, I only use it on my phone. I can't really use it on the desktop. It confuses me. It look, it's fucking whack, isn't it? Yeah, mm. but on um, I've got Reddit is fun, and that's quite good. Okay, um, we carrying on. Yeah. What's everyone yep. doing in this bit? Uh, new releases, yeah. Um, no. What we've no. Been watching. What we've no. been watching. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Blue Jasmine. I'm doing a, a film called An Honest Liar. Or it's a documentary. No, I've just watched lots of telly this week. I don't know if I've seen a film, but I'll do some telly. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> right. What we've been watching then, when we take a look at what we've been watching, obviously, in the last week or so, since the last podcast, uh, Owen, why don't you start us off with what you've seen in the last week? Sure, I watched something called An Honest Liar, um, or as it was known on iPlayer, for some reason, I'm yet to, to kind of fully understand, it's called Exposed Magicians, Psychics and Frauds, and it's not about that weatherman. Um, it's about, uh, well, it was, actually, it was an incredibly popular documentary, by two guys called uh, Tyler Meesum and Justin Weinstein um, when it did the festival circuit earlier in the year. And it got a lot of buzz, a lot of hype, and it was picked up by the BBC for their Storyville season. Um, and thankfully, it was kind of one of their better selections. Some of them that they've put on recently haven't been so so good. But this was really good. Uh, it's about James Randi, uh, an 80-year-old magician who basically made his name by exposing high-profile high mediums, uh, faith healers, psychics, um, you know, like Popov and Yuri Geller, exposed them as the frauds that he said they were. And in a way, it, it, his career mimicked his idol, Harry Houdini, who was also a famous magician and escape artist um, before carving out a career, exposing these, these people he accused of being frauds. So... But this isn't me. I'm just being very disclaimerful here. I don't believe in any of this nonsense, but you know. He, they, he said they were frauds, so that's what I'm going with. 
And he, okay, so you know, Houdini died when he was about 50, a very, very strange life, but obviously, uh, this guy, James Randi, is still going, and he's still as witty as ever, apparently, because he's interviewed quite a lot throughout the documentary. I think I saw the start of this, was it, and I think I've seen something in with this guy before, is he the one who kind of disproved Yuri Geller? Yes, he was the yes. one who disproved that, actually, he tried to catch him out on live TV. Yeah. And he um, did, and then Yuri Geller kind of said, no, well, what actually happened was, uh, well, you know, I won't say exactly what happened, but he, he basically said, oh, yeah, but it, what it comes down to is people who believe it, they know it's real, and what, Mm. What Randy does, what James Randy does, is show tricks that can mimic what I can really do, and it's just all a bit awkward. And, and, and then, of course, Yuri Geller went on to make Gary McAllister miss his penalty against England at Euro '96. <laughs> yeah, thanks. From a from a from a helicopter, apparently. Um, unless unless you don't, I'd love to see what James Randy how he explains that one. <laughs> I bet he couldn't. I bet he couldn't. That one. No, because no, because any... I can't. No. <laughs> but anyway, so aside from um, just Yuri Geller, uh, his, his sort of feud with Yuri Geller, it also tracks his life from um, like an early age. So you see interviews with his friends, with his family, uh, with his long-term partner as well. Um, and even actually some of the people that he had these massive battles with, such as Yuri Geller. Um, so yeah, so it's, re- it's really good. Um, he's a fascinating bloke as well, this James Randi guy. You know, his relationships and feuds and looking at what really motiva- motivates him to do, uh, to do this thing, to, to be the kind of person he is. It's really, it is fascinating. And he claims he only seeks truth and, you know, that lying offends him. He's not, he's got no time for liars and these charlatans. So, so you can see he's a man of integrity. Or, well, is he really? I mean, everyone lies about some, Something. Everyone lies about one thing at one time or another uh, at some point in their life. So, you know, what kind of secrets does this James Randi have himself? So it looks at kind of lots of different aspects. It doesn't really uh, pinpoint him as being a liar or what it tries to do. Is it just has him being as honest as he tells you he's being. So it's just really entertaining. Um, very interesting as well. Insightful. Um, but also because James Randi is just a fantastic character. He's a real showman, uh, without coming across as being obnoxious or arrogant or know-it-all or, you know, looking down on anyone. He just seems like a really nice, friendly, intelligent chap. Um, and also, the ending to the documentary is great. It's, it's got a lot of build-up to it, so Steve, you've got to go back and watch it because I'm not going to say any more about it, but it was just a perfect conclusion. Uh, and a brave... And honest thing on behalf of the documentary makers to do. So, yeah, very, very interesting. Oh, yeah, and like a, a side note, uh, it, as I said, it does seem to have been one of Storyville's most popular films this year. I've seen loads of people talking about it on Twitter. Um, Paul, who I've mentioned before, at Pafsidus, recommended it to me. My wife actually downloaded it and watched it before me and told me how good it was and that I should watch it. There's two people. And then... Um, even this guy I know, uh, Edwin, who's retired, but he occasionally comes into our office, he does some work for me every so often on like a casual contract. He's a really top bloke, I really like Edwin. But he sent me an email just out of the blue, just this random email, he's, he's supposed to be in like Portugal for the last four weeks, and he just sent me this email that just said the subject was charlatans, which made me laugh anyway. And then he talked about the documentary he'd just seen on 
Sky, which is obviously a thing called uh, An Honest Liar. And in his message, he says, marvellous stuff, but in the end, it will continue. People continue to believe what they want to believe, which I think is very astute because, you know, even in the face of overwhelming evidence, this documentary proves that, you know, above all else, if people want to believe in something, then they will. You know, regardless of whether the illusion or the magic's been exposed or how something's been explained, if someone really wants to believe in something, you can't do anything about that. They're just going to believe it. And so, you know, you just have to live with it, don't you? So, yeah. So, you know, as of um, recording the podcast as well, it's still on iPlayer. It's still, it's still there. So I definitely recommend watching it. And, yeah, Steve, you've got to go back and watch it because, like I say, the ending to it is just it's fantastic. Okay. I will uh, take you up on that and yeah. try and get that done uh, before next week. And, Carol, what have you seen? Um, this week, I finally... Uh, I haven't got around to it before, even though it's been out for a while, but I finally got around to watching uh, Blue Jasmine, which is a Woody Allen film from last year, I think. Or year, I think it was actually the end of 2012, um, starring uh, Kate Blanchett. Um, and Sally Hawkins, who, like, I love Sally Hawkins, I'll watch her in anything, so I was quite looking forward to this. Um, it's essentially the story of, um, a wealthy kind of New York socialite who, uh, her world has basically fallen apart around her. The, the film starts off with her going to stay with her sister in, um, in San Francisco in this kind of like dingy, apartment that she's not at all used to and she's virtually like holding her nose as she walks in um and gradually the film kind of unravels to show exactly how she's got to to where she is so her husband uh was kind of like a bernie madoff figure really took loads of people's money and and lost it um and and wound up in prison so um you kind of gradually find out how she got to this point she's never actually been out into the real world she doesn't really know you know she's never had like a proper job so she has to go and get a job in order to support herself which is quite funny um and it's just it's it's a really well-made film i mean i think probably uh kate blanchett she won uh best actress oscar for this film and uh she she probably makes it i'm not sure it would have done half as well without such a great performance in the in the middle because you feel sorry for this person um, even though she's kind of completely detached from reality, um, you feel completely sorry for Jasmine. You feel like really sorry for for what's happened. You don't know whether she's actually involved in in the fraud that her husband has perpetuated or not, but you still feel kind of quite bad for her, and you believe her when she says, "No, I didn't know anything about it," and he just, you know, I just signed things. Um, and Sally Hawkins is excellent as well, as as, as I said, as I knew she would be. Um, she's fantastic as the sister who's kind of uh, kind of dumped Jas- Jasmine dumps herself on on the sister um, and she's kind of trying to move her boyfriend in she's got like an ex-husband and, and neither of them like Jasmine particularly much so she's kind of trying to uh, balance between the two and um, it's it's really really good it's really well performed and the way the, the story just kind of like unfolds you, you get little bits of information a, a bit at a time and, and gradually you get you know you don't get the whole picture until the end um but it's it's really good and, and i definitely recommend it especially if you're a fan of woody allen it's a very it's a very woody allen film i think uh better than magic in the moonlight anyway yeah i liked blue jasmine as well i saw it in the cinema when it was because it, it, it came out but then it, it went off for a bit in our local cinema and then it came back on 
for just like a week or so in yeah. later on in the year. And that's when I caught it. And yeah, I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I'm not a massive Woody Allen fan, though, because I've, mainly because I've not seen too many of his films, you know, like Manhattan and, you know, that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I, I thought it was really good. And exactly as you said, it, it's basically because Kate Blanchett is so good in it. It's, it's mainly because of her performance that I enjoyed yeah. it as much as I did. It's very, um, it reminded me a lot of, and I see a lot of reviews have agreed with me on this, um, Streetcar Named Desire. Mm. It's very, it's kind of not, not a rip-off, but it's just kind of a, you know, like a homage to Streetcar Named Desire, I think. She's very yeah. Blanche Dubois. But, um, yeah, I thought Sally Hawkins was really, really good as well. Um, I think she got Oscar nominated for it, uh, for this film as well, and totally deserved, because she is amazing. And one day she'll win. <laughs> yeah, although not with Paddington, which is in as well. Not with Paddington in the works, obviously, but uh... <laughs> not with all that innuendo. No, no, <laughs> too rude for the academy. Mm. Too classless, I'd say. Yeah, you yeah. want a little bear in you? Have you got a little bear in you, even? That was a, that was terrible. That was awful. That was, that was yeah. Mm. Yeah, so my, my career as a stand-up comedian is just kaput. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and for the second uh, segment in a row. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's move away from from this along to what I've seen. Uh, which, to be honest, isn't a lot. I've had a busy week, but I have managed to watch a fair bit of television. Obviously, keeping up with the Walking Dead series five, which is carrying on at a decent pace. Um, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying mm. it I'm enjo- a lot this season. It's, it's, it's kind of last season though it started off at this good pace and then it kind of lulled in the middle a bit and it's just wondering if it can maintain a whole season of, of good pacing and episodes. Um, I mean, nothing's going to be as bad as the farm on season two, which just is <laughs> relentless. <laughs> Yeah, that just, that just felt like it was never going to end. No. It's a real shame because in the in the comics they're on there for maybe about four uh, four books, mm, and yeah. that, then that's it; they're gone. Um, but yeah, I really liked it. I really liked the fact that they had a, a bit of a Carol flashback. I love, Carol's a fucking boss these days, <laughs> but I, she is fantastic. I found the flashbacks in this episode a bit pointless. They didn't really tell us anything. I quite liked it, but I do like. I do like Carol and Daryl. Yeah. I think they're the, they're probably the best characters on the whole show, to be honest. Yeah. I haven't seen yesterday's episode yet, so I try. And, I'm trying yeah. to keep it spoiler light. Yeah. But it has yeah. got to that stage in the season now, where and it's it was the same with last season. I think possibly um, the season before as well, where it gets to that point where the story's progressed to a point now where they don't w- seem to want to further it too much. So you get lots of episodes which just focus on one or two characters doing something or sometimes they're full of flashbacks and things well they're teasing um, them they're sort of leading into the to the rather annoying trend of the mid-season finale yeah, yeah. so there's only yeah. two episodes left there's, which, there's one more episode and then that which i appreciate is is you know something that they do in america especially when they've got shows running and it comes to the holiday mm. period uh but I remember the BBC trying to do it with Doctor Who and a couple of years ago and everyone was just like, what the fuck are you doing? No, just do it well, properly. <laughs> no, that, no yeah. that's just general. That, that's just generally what people are feeling about Doctor Who these well, days, to be honest. I don't think it's got anything to do with the break. Um, but yeah, no, they did, try to, they did try to kind of introduce a mid-season break and split a series into two halves and everyone was just kind of like, no, 
No. To show it properly. <laughs> Stop being it us. should always be viewed in the dark, though. I, I never used to like the fact that you used to be watching it at, in, like, April or May, and it was light outside when you were watching it. That's not right. It needs to be dark so that you imagine that the statues are out there or whatever. And I think that's what they tried to do, was they tried to... They couldn't go, like, a year and a half without having Doctor Who, so they were like, all right, we'll, we'll split it, and then we'll go into doing it in October or whatever. <laughs> so I think that was the idea. And I, I do prefer it being October, but I wish Stephen Moffat would get the hell off. Mm. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I've had enough of him now. Um, but, yeah, back to The Walking Dead. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously keep loosely in line with the comics, I suppose. Um, but I think it's good that it's definitely got its own direction, its own take on things. Yeah, there are bits and pieces that line up. Um, yeah. And again, I don't really want to spoil too much. I don't even know if it's being shown on Terrestrial now. I don't know whether Channel, Channel 5 Channel, still Channel 5 it. usually show it a fair bit after. Yeah, yeah like. So, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. I f- it's usually. You, Channel 5 usually show it just before, I think. It's the new series is due to start on FX or Fox or whatever it is now. Oh, I bet that does really well in the ratings. <laughs> um, yeah, so there, there are like a few bit, basically what, what you'll normally find happen is that, um, things happen, but they don't happen with the characters that it happened with in the comics. Yeah. So like, uh, I think Tyrese has had like his standout moment of going outside and beating the shit out of loads of zombies that you can't see. Mm. And then coming back in and just being like, yeah, what? I just beat up like 12 zombies by myself. It's fine. And um, now he's gone back to being a little bitch. Yeah, how is he so big as well during like the apocalypse? I would have thought. Well, you know, they're always making a point of how food is so hard to come by, but he's a he's a giant. Well, it's yeah. In a rotund way. Mm. <laughs> but um, yeah. So, but normally you'll find uh, that things happen. They they still happen, but they don't happen with the people. So Herschel's leg originally happened with Dale. And that also tied into something mm, well, I mean, in the first few episodes of, of season five. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Her- Herschel pretty much ended up being Dale, didn't he? Yeah. For mm-hmm. for for one, re- you know, for however it turned out. But yeah, yeah. pretty much. Um, but yeah, I also started rewatching it from the beginning as well in tandem on Netflix, and it's it's a it's strange to see how far it's come. But that first episode of ever of The Walking Dead, it was just brilliant. Yeah, you for, you forget, fantastic. and and that first series was only six episodes long, and there was only one bad episode, I think, in that series, which mm. was the one where they met the the Hispanic gang in the old people's <laughs> I knew home, you were say that. <laughs> which was just fucking ridiculous. Because <laughs> they they showed it in black and white. They started showing it in black and white a few uh, oh a few months ago, I think, um, or maybe it was last year actually during Halloween. And uh, the one that I managed to catch was that one with the poxy vase. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so dumb. <laughs> that would definitely happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what would happen. Um, but, but maybe, maybe now they're 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 you know back in the city in parts of it. Uh, we'll see them again. Yeah, hopefully. I like I like it much more when they're in the city. Because uh, it just feels a bit creepy. Yeah, really. I do. I, I, I do like. A I, to shoot. I do like a post-apocalyptic city. Yeah, I think everyone yeah. does, don't they? Yeah. And uh, it must cost them a fortune to shoot, though. We, I don't think we'll be there for very long. No. But um, yeah, it just surprised me the speed at well, not so much the last couple of episodes. It surprised me the speed at which uh, this series has moved on. Really. Yeah. 
like uh oh that will probably be there until the mid no that's gone oh will we be there until no that's gone all right <laughs> yeah i'm just wondering how many more actors from the wire they can cram into it and You've kill off popular... yeah and kill off. i was delighted when ellis there. turned up it does it does, it does seem to have though almost a uh, and this would sound quite bad, but The Walking Dead does almost have, seem to have a one-in-one-out policy in terms of black male actors. <laughs> Do you know what? I said this at work a few weeks ago, and everyone just looked at me. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely true, though, isn't it? Because, yeah, Ellis comes in. I don't know what his name is. Oh, it's uh, Gabriel, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Gabriel, yeah. Gabriel comes in, and, and yeah. That's it. So, and then someone else starts getting a load of character development. And you're like, well, you're going to go. Then. Oh, that is that is the one bad thing the Walking <laughs> Dead's always done. You you're a bit of a secondary character, and you get a few lines. You can just tell that's you're going to die. R.I.P. T. Dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's one guy I miss. It's T. Dog. Yeah, definitely. He was such an integral part of the group. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyway, so that, that's that. Um. Uh, also, uh, David Attenborough's Life series on on BBC One. But I was on mind how they filmed some of that. I think I saw one... Well, I In a see... zoo, by the sounds of it. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was the one before where they they got caught out doing some stuff in Edinburgh Zoo. <laughs> All right. Serious? But no, I mean, it does look fantastic. It's always very good to watch. Um, but yeah, that's it for, for what we've been watching. Up next, we've got uh, some new release reviews. And did you want a break there? No, I'm alright. Cool. So, what have we got? Imitation game and... Uh, the drop. drop. I saw the drop. The drop. Right. So, time to look at a couple of new releases now. Uh, first of all, we have got the Imitation game. Uh, starring Benedict Cumberbatch as Alan Turing the man who led the mission to break the German Enigma machine in World War Two. Um, Owen, how was it? It was very good. It was very good. I, re- I enjoyed it. Um, I felt to, to start with, it was kind of slow. And this, but it was, you know, it still wasn't what I'd consider a bad film. It was still pretty, pretty good. Um, but the second half is, is much better. It really picks up in the second half. Um, without spoiling anything because everyone it's knows a, what films it's about. It's a 60-year-old true story. I don't think you can actually spoil anything at this point. It, precisely, precisely. <laughs> There's a, a moment in the movie where the Enigma machine, they, they get they get given a month to sort it out. And suddenly, yeah, the film kind of kicks into life as soon as they press the on switch Um and I, yeah, from that point on, I, I was really engrossed in it. I thought it was very good. Before that, I just thought it was, yeah, it was quite good. It was alright. Um, but Benedict Cumberbatch, though, it's brilliant. And it's, it's one of those frustrating characters he's playing in the sense that you watch it and you think, yeah, he's just, he's just playing a character who has Asperger's. So, you know, he's a bit socially distant. He can't really connect with anybody else. And it's, yeah, but he's a genius as well, isn't he? He's really clever. Yeah, yeah, so carry on. But actually, it's, you, you can't fault his performance. He's still very good as, as uh, Alan Turing. It's, it's just, especially because he doesn't have any video evidence or anything to go by. You know, Turing was never filmed, so there's, there's nothing for him to look back on and, and take tips from. So it's all kind of imagined or used from 
from what other people have said about him. So, brilliant, brilliant performance. Yeah, I mean, I, I read your review as well, Carol. I think you kind of agree that he was he was very good. Yeah, right? I was I was concerned that he was just going to be kind of a wartime Sherlock, really, and yeah. it did start out a little bit like that when he's getting recruited uh, by the commander. Mm. Um, and he's like, "Oh, you're talking about Enigma," and he's like, "Oh, Dad, what, what do you know about Enigma?" And I was like, "Oh God, is this just yeah, this is just basically gonna be Sherlock, isn't it?" But um, yeah, I think he really turned like definitely as it, as the film wore on, and at the end, uh, I thought that was just fantastic performance, mm. Mm. Um, especially like the last half an hour, probably I would say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, was brilliant. Do you know what I felt was really good about the film that I was I'm usually a bit dubious about, but it's like. <laughs> It was about two-thirds of the way through. They suddenly started focusing on flashbacks to him as a kid a lot more than they had been doing previously. And I thought, oh, God, this is going to be a bit tedious now. But actually, it really worked. And there's, there's only a few occasions where I can think that actually bringing that, the, the history of him as a child in a boarding school into it, it gave him a bit more um, personality, which was lacking a little bit in the first half of the film. Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't know whether the naming of this machine was was true or not. Um, mm. I can't remember that bit from my from my computer science studies because I, I studied Turing <laughs> at uni. Um, but uh, definitely fr- from then onwards, um, yeah, from the flashbacks onwards, you kind of get a a feel of of what's driving him, really, don't you? And the fact that he's always mm. been like that, and the fact he's always been different in more ways than one. Exactly. Um, and yeah, it really kind of hum- humanizes him a little bit. I think, because I think you're always in danger with with that sort of character of just alienating the audience completely. Yeah. Um, and they sort of play up to that in the, in the first part because he, he's got his team at Bletchley Park and he basically alienates the lot of them by mm-hmm. sacking them when he gets put in charge. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I think it did do a very good job of of kind of dialing that back a little bit and making him um, a bit more likable, which is what you need because no one wants a. a Film where where the central character is an arsehole, and I'm sure Alan Turing wasn't an arsehole. <laughs> no. well, uh, Unless it's you know, a good film, in which case I don't mind when char- the main character is an arsehole, as long as the, the story is interesting and he's himself a fascinating character, which which he struggled to be to start with. Mm. You can have, you, I mean, you can have arseholes as central characters. Not if they're mm. clever. Well, uh, what about what about? Um, <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort. He was a very clever guy and an absolute he arsehole. Was, he was an arsehole, but he was a likeable arsehole. He was still you know, an arsehole. Charismatic. He was, yeah, he's still an arsehole. <laughs> but he, you know, he was very good. At, that was how he built his whole his whole empire, wasn't it? By being a very, um, well, likable guy. He got lots of people to like him and trust him. And the film in Wolf of Wall Street got that across. Whereas Alan Turing was just, um, he wasn't really there. He wasn't with the human race. He was an outsider. He was looking in. And that kind of is a different different sort of unlikable. How, yeah. uh, how annoying was Kira Knightley's well, actually, accent that's in the what, film? That's what I was just going to come on to. Because I think, <laughs> like, because she, she's introduced as the person who kind of connects Turing to the, yes. to the real world. Because um, she's as intelligent as him, but she's also got social skills, frankly. And um, and so she's kind of the bridge between him and, and, and the rest of the people at Bletchley Park. And I thought she was really good, actually. Uh, mm. Was there was her accent specifically annoying to you, uh, Steve? In the, in the trailer or anything? Yeah. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, especially being the trailer where she says, oh, and it just, oh, oh, yes. oh, fuck <laughs> off, love. Yeah, no, you don't, yeah, that bit's in there, but she really didn't annoy me for the rest of the film. I thought she was really good. She was good, and I do like Kira Knightley as an actress, as, you know, she's, she's been good in a few things that I've seen. I, her in. I just couldn't work out from the trailer why she was putting on that accent when her accent is generally quite well spoken in English anyway. Yeah, most of the most of the film, I'm pretty sure she just speaks in a normal English accent. Yeah. But yeah, I know exactly the bit you mean. Mm. Um, yeah, it's nowhere near as clipped as that in the rest of the film. Mm. I don't know why they, I don't know why she <laughs> went for that pronunciation of that part. But um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, never mind. But she did. She was also an interesting character herself, though, because she wasn't just. I mean, yes, she was mainly there so that you had a uh, a way for you to connect with. Alan Turing as much as the character of Turing can connect with the audience but also she seemed quite interested in herself you know this this woman in a man's world kind of story and it could have been fleshed out a little bit more but at the same time there's, the runtime was already approaching two hours which was getting on a bit for, for what yeah. the story was mm. yeah I did, I did like the fact they did bring in slightly but yeah you're right they didn't really um, expand on it the fact that she she passed the tests but she, like her parents wouldn't let her work in the no. in the code breaking section, exactly. even though she's clearly and that I, I let out a very loud British tut at that point. So. <laughs> well, it's like when she turns up, isn't it, for her interview with MI6, and they just sort of say, "Oh, you're here for the secretary's." The typist pool is up there. The typists yeah. are upstairs, <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. But you know, that's another way of, of what um, that scene in particular of getting you to understand. Turing a bit more than it is really anything about Kira Knightley's character. Um, Joan, was that her name? Joan yeah, something? Joan. Joan yeah. Clark. Joan Clark, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hi. But also, the, talking about support cast as well, um, Charles Dance, Mark Strong, both of them pretty good. Yeah, I thought right. Mark Strong was actually really funny. He was. He d- a, doesn't get it... to be funny in, in a lot of... Um, <laughs> in a lot of roles mm. these days. He's just basically the bad guy all the time, isn't he? But I thought he was yeah. great. He was, yeah. And also, I did like Charles Dance's um, his interactions with, with Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, they they played that up a little bit. They never There was never so much as much conflict um, between the two as, as is made up on film. I guess they had oh, yeah. to have some sort of... I guess they had to play it up a little bit more. The bit about writing to Churchill directly to ask for funds is completely true, though. <laughs> is that what happened? Yep, that's actually what happened. <laughs> Wow. Okay, and the only release and Carol, you saw the drop starring Tom Hardy, uh, James Gandolfini, and Numi Rapace. Yes, yes, I did. So yes, on uh, on Saturday I had a bit of a, a double header, as I like to do with the imitation game and the drop. I saw the drop first, and uh, on the way in I, I chatted to the, the cinema manager, as as is my want, and he said, "Oh, I'm I'm really interested in this film." I was like, "Really? Because you must see a lot of films." And he said, yeah, I'm really interested. It's James Gandolfini's last film, isn't it? And I was like, that's that's what this film is going to be remembered for forever, isn't it, really? It's just going to be James Gandolfini's last role, and that's going to be it. And I, was, and I thought, well, I hope it's a pretty good film to, to kind of break out of that um, out, out of that distinction. Um, and, and it is. It is really good. Um, so uh, James Gandolfini is basically like the supporting um, actor, and he's just basically a more crabby version of uh, Tony Soprano uh, who runs a bar in Brooklyn 
and this bar is uh, the stage for the Mafia basically dropping off their ill-gotten gains because you can't put that sort of money through a bank so they kind of drop it off at the bar and it's called the drop because it is a drop point and then every so often they'll change the drop point to like one of their network of bars. Um, so Tom Hardy plays um, Bob who is the bartender of said bar, Cousin Marv's bar. Um, and, you know, James Gandolfini is basically in the background, kind of like growling at him quite a lot. Um, Bob, one day he's walking home from um, from his shift and he finds a dog in, in a bin and the dog is just like the cutest thing ever. I was just like, <laughs> just give the dog that Oscar right now. It's fantastic. Do- the dog's performance is wonderful. But... Um, yeah, so he finds the um, finds the dog, and it's in the bin of um, a lady played by Numi Rapace uh, called Nadia. Um, and basically, from then up, he, Bob takes the dog home. Bob ad- adopts the dog, and then from then on, kind of this whole series of events plays out, which is indirectly or directly linked to Bob taking the dog home. So there's a kind of local madman who's who's after him because he also wants the dog. Um, there's some Chechens after after everyone because uh, some of their money goes missing, and it's just a really well made film. And I was just sitting there thinking because I've seen Tom Hardy in I think I've only seen him in two films this year actually. I saw him in Lock. I don't know whether either of you guys saw Lock. No, really wanting to, but um, I missed it. But it's on Netflix, isn't it? Is it on US? I Netflix? think it's just gone on. Yeah, I think it's recently gone on US Netflix. I definitely recommend it. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, just, I was sitting there watching this. Tom Hardy's a very convincing um, Brooklyn kind of hard guy slash barman. And I was thinking that Tom Hardy is probably quietly becoming one of our most kind of diverse actors, really. When you think of of his back catalogue, obviously Bronson is just like nothing I've ever seen before. It's, it's just absolutely crazy. Um, and then Locke, where he's a completely different character. You know, he's like Welsh builder, basically, Welsh foreman. Um, and then you've gone on to this and he's a, you know, he's tending bar in, in Brooklyn and he's completely convincing. And he's I just thought. He's going to be, um, both of the Cray twins, isn't he? And he's, but yeah, yeah, that's right. He's got that, I think that's coming out next year. Um, yeah. which looked really, really interesting. Yeah. And I just thought he, he's actually, he's actually really versatile. I think he's probably one of the most versatile actors we have at the moment. He's fantastic. And he's and he's always really really good in in whatever you put him in, even in like the Dark Knight Rises where he was just not frankly given a lot to do. He was um he you know I think he was possibly just as good as as could be expected really. Yeah, considering he had a mask on his face for most of the film, he could you <laughs> still got a, he still managed to get across that he was acting in a believable way. And he and he was in the way the film panned out, he was essentially henchman number one, wasn't he? Yeah. As, as Bane has always been. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's a great film. Again, it kind of slowly unfolds. Um, and, you, you know, the title, The Drop, is, I think, more relates to the kind of this slide down into into disaster that everyone's taking um, mm. as a result of the things that pan out during the film. Um, but, yeah, it's it's really, really good. I would recommend it. I don't know whether it's on wide release. I think it's on quite wide release. Yeah. showing showing quite a few times during the week at my local cinema world but um yeah it's it's not a short film and it does it, it's really well paced it, but nothing much happens for about half an hour in the middle but you, at the time you'll feel it's dragging but then later on you'll realize it wasn't it was just setting up 
Uh, it was just st- setting up story and plot elements that are going to come in- into play later mm. on, basically. Uh, but, were, yeah, were, t- totally recommend it. Were the film um, as Gandolfini's last? Yeah, I think so. I know that he was in. Um, he was in. A f- he completed a few before he died, didn't he? He was in mm-hmm. Enough Said, which I haven't seen. Um, as I said, he's more with, of a- uh, Julia Louis. G- yeah, yeah, that's right. Which apparently is very good, but yeah, I haven't I haven't actually seen it. As I said, he's more of a supporting actor in this, and it's kind of a, it's yeah, it's it's not a quiet role. You know, there is a bit of um, a bit of a um, development halfway through where he comes comes into the fore a bit more. But yeah, it's it is a good role, um, and and he'd be very much missed. Is the film in tone a bit more like? I mean, is it a caper type film? A no. Of a comedy caper, or is it more like The Sopranos, or you know, Killing Them Softly, or something like that? Maybe. Um, put it this way: it was, it was, it's been developed out of a short um, story by the same guy who wrote um, Gone Baby Gone. Okay. Uh, and Shutter Island, and he's he's written quite a lot of um, quite a lot of short stories. It's very kind mm-hmm. of. I'm not, I wouldn't say it's like noir, but it's, um, you know, there's kind of the mob involved. It's definitely not yeah. light-hearted. Okay. Um, it's, it's just with him, like, of... picking up um, a dog out of a bin and stuff like that. It just <laughs> makes it seem like it could be more comedy than crime. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, I suppose it does, actually, doesn't it? <laughs> um, but no, definitely not. It's it's definitely, I mean, there are, like, light-hearted bits in it, but... Um, yeah, definitely. There is a there is a definite kind of the the palette is very muted and very grey, <laughs> and there's definite sense of dread, especially towards the kind of final three quarters of an hour. I would say. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that's all for our new release reviews then, uh, both the Imitation Game and the Drop. Before we go, we've just got our recommendations for uh, the week ahead of uh, for this week. Um, so, Owen, what are you recommending? Well, kind of lazily, because I've already talked about it. Um, but the documentary I mentioned earlier, the, the Storyville one, Exposed, Magicians, Psychics and Forwards, is on iPlayer still. Um, as of today, which is the, the Tuesday the 18th, our recording today, it's up still for 14 days. So just search for Storyville. It'll be the only option that's returned. Give it a go. It's, it is one of my favourite documentaries of the year. And Carol? Um, I'm going to recommend on Netflix, I watched it a couple of weeks ago and I really enjoyed it. And we've also mentioned it on the podcast, but this wasn't lazy, honest. I'd already recommended <laughs> it. I'd already picked it. Uh, it was, uh, Filth, uh, starring James McAvoy. Nice. The BAFTA, Scottish BAFTA award winning Filth, uh, starring James McAvoy as a morally dubious police officer. Although to be fair, I saw worse during my spell in the police force. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it's, it's very good and McAvoy's excellent in it. Okay, and I am going to recommend a film that has just been put onto uh, Netflix UK, and that is Monsters, Inc. from 2001. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh. I love Monsters, Inc. I love one section of it. Which bit? With the doors on the rail. rail oh, the yeah, that, that's so good. The bit at the yeah. end makes me that's cry a little bit, well. actually. Where he puts to get that the door gets put back together, and he goes and sees mm. it again. That's really sad. Billy Crystal's good, isn't he? Yes. But 
Yeah. You did say Monsters Inc., not Monsters University, didn't you? Say? Yes, yes. Yes, okay. Because Monsters <laughs> yeah. University is terrible. That was well, really it's not terrible, film. it's just not, it's not. Good. No, it's not terrible, but I think part of the problem with Monsters University was they were putting, trying to put a very kind of teen or adult concept of being in college and being in a frat into a kid's film. Yeah. And it, just it, didn't, and work. it, did, and it didn't work. Because, no. yeah. I don't know, it didn't play to the target audience right in some way. No. Because uh, yeah, half of the kids watching that aren't going to know what a, a frat is or a fraternity or a sorority or anything yeah. like that. Twenty two Jump Street did the same thing, but better, didn't it? Basically, and it's a fifteen. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> exactly. anyway, that's all. That's all for this week's podcast. Uh, we'll be back around about the same time next week with another one. Thanks for listening, and thanks to anyone who's contributed as well website is over at www.failedcritic.com and we are on the Twitter as well if you want to interact with us on there. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.